Innovation challenges used to be just the experimental. Now they're commonplace among lots of agencies, including the Defense Department. They could also be the future of bringing in new ideas to government. Federal News Network's Scott Mossioni joins me with the latest. And Scott, let's begin at the beginning for those that may not know what exactly are innovation challenges. They've grabbed quite a bit of traction in these past five or six years, but really what they are is sort of like that TV show Shark Tank. A lot of people will bring in a bunch of cool ideas that they have based on some sort of challenge that a department or agency will put out there. And then usually they'll have some sort of big pageantry around it for the finalists and they go up uh, in front of industry experts or officials within that agency, pitch their idea, and then those officials will uh, usually pick one and either that person within government will get some sort of award or monetary uh, fund or they will just help that idea become an actual product for the government. So the government has put out the challenge or the issue or the problem it needs solving and then they look for people to bring innovative ideas. That's exactly right and we've seen quite a few of these especially within the Defense Department. There's Spark Tank, Steam Tank, Maneuver Engineer Challenge, Dragon's Lair, Maintenance Innovation Challenge, Pitch Days, Artificial Intelligence Days, everything you can really think of when it comes to these things. And the monetary awards are not grants and they're not contracts but they're just further go develop your idea a little bit more type of thing. Right. And sometimes there'll be something a little bit more than that. Uh, one that were recently just came out, gave service members a four-day vacation. Sometimes you'll get a service award, different things that go either toward your quality of life or at least something that you can hang in your office. A lot of the ones that we're seeing are trying to bring up ideas from within the military because these are the people who uh, know the military the best, the lower ranked people who are seeing the issues straight on on the ground. You know, if you're a helicopter maintenance person and you're the one that's hanging out with the rotors and figuring out what's going on, what's you know really a pain in the butt for you the most, and you can bring your solution or that funny thingamajig that you've created to help you screw that rotor on to your top brass and help them produce that for every base around. Right. So people that live with the mistakes that the top brass make in decisions, they can get a chance then to, hey, here's a way you can fix this. Exactly right. All right. And there are a couple of new interesting ones out. Give us the details. Yeah. So there's a new one coming out from U.S. Central Command, which is the organization in charge of all the military operations in the Middle East. And this is their first ever innovation oasis. Very apt name for them, considering they're in the desert much of the time. It's not really that surprising that they're coming out with this, though, because this challenge comes from formerly the 18th Airborne within the Army, and that was really the organization that came up with the Dragon's Lair, which is the Army's most successful innovation challenge. That challenge has come out with some of the really interesting, uh, helpful things on sexual assault policies, also with other things, including computers and helping people with things, like I said, with rotary, helicopter rotary issues and things like that. So Dragon's Lair is now in its seventh or eighth iteration and is doing quite well. So the former leader of that organization is now the general of CENTCOM. His name's uh, General Eric Carrilla. So it's not very surprising that they're, they've decided to adopt this. They've seen a lot of success with it. What they're asking people to do is really just bring up any idea that they have. So any innovation that you think is going to help CENTCOM, just bring it forward and they'll take it. They're not asking for anything in specific or anything very pointed on this. Interesting. We're speaking with Federal News Network Scott Massioni, and you said that there have been quite a number of areas in DOD where innovation challenges have borne fruit. What have we seen so far elsewhere? 
All right. Well, we're seeing another one that just came out from around the, the sort of the Naval Academy. It's what's called the Scout Initiative. And this is something that the Navy set up to be an interagency organization that would stop drug smuggling into the United States. What they did was they made a, a more targeted uh, innovation challenge. This was paired up with Naval Academy recent graduates, and they put them into different teams and said, figure out some ways that we can stop drugs from coming into the United States. And this is based in, on something with the Joint Interagency Task Force South. What they came up with was actually pretty interesting. They came up with a web of connected sensors that can look at fishing routes and figure out if there's any gaps in there, look at GPS and see if there's any uh, suspicious activity. Another thing that they were talking about was just using sensors within buoys and things like that to see if there are certain ships coming by that shouldn't be coming in. So that's a little more unusual from what we usually see from these innovation challenges because they're usually sort of an open call to anyone around. This was specifically towards graduates of the Naval Academy. Apparently there's an appeal to these among the people that are asked for answers. That is the people on the line, the enlisted members, the rank and file, so to speak. What is the appeal? Maybe more just the chance to offer a real improvement, maybe more than whatever monetary or time off they might get? Yeah, I think, well, first of all, one of the things that we've always talked about that gets people into the military is that call to service to begin with. So these are people who, in just in the first place, want to help their country, help the people around them. So when they see an issue like this, they say, well, you know, why not bring it up to the top brass and and help people more and, you know, help the United States do what it's trying to do. So I think that that sort of service uh, leaning oriented type person wants to do something like this. Uh, and then there is, you know, a little bit of a monetary and also bragging rights when you have something uh, like this go your way. And, you know, it certainly doesn't hurt if you're going up for promotion and you can put something like this on your resume for the next time you go before the promotion board. Are there any drawbacks that have come up to the innovation challenges? Well, you know, one of the, the big drawbacks, I think, is that the winners are only getting a four-day weekend or a service medal, while you could, you know, just go ahead and leave the military and go to Google and cash in on your five or six million dollars if you wanted to. So, uh, you know, they may be getting in the short end of the stink on this, but sometimes that's what goes into public service. It's a uh, it's something you do for love and not out of monetary gain. It strikes me that this could fundamentally change the relationship between military brass and the enlisted people or the rank and file, whatever you want to call them. Soldiers, sailors, airmen and Marines, they become not simply people plugged into a function that has been designed in 1897 but really brought in because they can change things from the outset. And that's a very profound, I think, change in that relational thinking between people that are new in the military and those that are running things at the brass level. It, definitely. And that's something that the Army itself has really been focusing on as they've built up this new Futures Command, which is really trying to bring their acquisition into the 21st century. And what one of the things that they're focusing on is called soldier-centric design. And that's where instead of just asking people to come up with ideas, they take their ideas and take them down to the soldier and say, all right, well, how is this uh, you know, backpack working for you? Is it rubbing your shoulders wrong? How are you feeling when you're you're using this, this product? And that way they're not you know, putting something out there, putting billions of dollars into a product, and then to find out it doesn't work you know, two or three years later and that the soldiers actually hate it. So um, you know, this is a good give and take that they're creating that may be beneficial for the military as a whole. Federal News Network's Scott Mossione, thanks so much.
Thank you. Hello, I'm WIPA CEO Shane Canfield, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Lessons in Leadership. I'm honored to be joined by Angie Bailey, founder and CEO of Ananda Life. Angie has a remarkable career in public service, beginning as a GS2 clerk typist with the Social Security Administration. And over the next 40 years, Angie steadily worked her way up through the government, ultimately becoming the Chief Human Capital Officer at the Department of Homeland Security. She's been recognized with presidential rank awards by two administrations for leadership, innovation, dedication, and commitment to the country. Angie, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Shane. What a pleasure to be here. Angie, you've made quite a name for yourself as a leader in the federal workforce. Who was the first person you remember looking up to it? as a leader, and what about them inspired you? you know, I often think about this because you know, sometimes we think of the people that we look up to the most as being somebody that throughout our career has you know, been at the highest levels and all. But I, you know, I've got to go back to honestly, whenever I was 10 years old, and uh, I remember I really wanted to play Little League play- Baseball on a boys team. I was the only girl. And interestingly, it was the women who would keep saying to me that, no, I couldn't play. And then one day, whenever I was there to sign up yet again, uh, there was this guy, his name was Delbert Beiser. And uh, I remember he had like red hair and he had a wad of tobacco in his mouth and greasy overhauls and everything. And he said, you know, I'll take her, I'll take her on my team. And, you know, just looking back on that, there's so many leadership lessons and things that I just really admire about him. And actually I thought about throughout my entire career, he took a chance on somebody he didn't know. He um, put aside whatever conscious or unconscious biases that he might have had about having a girl on a team. He treated me the same, Uh, whether, you know, if I wasn't performing, I got benched just like the boys. I got no special treatment and, and, and he was just really honest with me and he just included me in everything. And so looking back on it, you know, really it was Delbert Beiser, our local mechanic in our little small village that was I think my inspiration for going on to, I hope, become the leader, um, you know, that that I wanted to be. I'd say half of the guests on this podcast have had similar stories where they reach back to either childhood or young adulthood, and I and I think as leaders, it's really incumbent upon us to keep that in mind that that what we say and do. especially in the younger ages, really can have a lifelong impact. How would you describe your leadership style and how has that developed over time? I would say that the one word that describes my leadership style is that I care. Um, I guess that's more than one word, but I care. Uh, I've always cared about the mission. I've always cared about the people. I've always cared, you know, about making sure that that they had what they needed or that they were developing the way, uh, you know, that they aspired to develop. And I tried to take this approach of not treating people the way I wanted to be treated, but instead treat people the way they wanted, they want to be treated. And I think that that really kind of developed over my career. You know, I started out just like most leaders do where it's very results driven. It's all about the bottom line. You need to make sure that you get everything accomplished because, you know, that's what everybody's looking for, the goals, the metrics, et cetera. But I think as you mature and you go along, you start to, to your point, you draw back on those early childhood days or early adult young, you know, whenever you're a young adult and you say, you know, I think that there's a little bit more to this than just the bottom line. And so over time, 
I really began to, I, I think, see a much bigger picture and the entire ecosystem, if you will, and how the people themselves fit into all of this. And that ultimately, at the end of the day, it was all about the people. And so, I, you know, I think my my maturity allowed me to then shift and focus more on the people than than so much on results and bottom line. You've been recognized with two presidential rank awards, two different administrations. You founded your own company. Tell us a little bit more about your background from the beginning and, and how did that lead you to where you are today? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting, like you said, that I started out as a GS2, a Social Security Administration. I mean, what I really wanted to be was a criminal prosecuting attorney. It's, that's That was absolutely my dream. I sometimes joke and say what I really wanted to be was a mafia don, but that wasn't going to work out. So, you know, had to be a criminal prosecuting attorney. But, you know, I had to get a job to pay for college. I, you know, it wasn't in the cards that I was going to be able to go to college without a job. So I applied at the Social Security Administration, or I'm sorry, at the unemployment office, and lo and behold, I got a job at Social Security. I didn't even know it was federal, to be honest. Uh, from there, I went to the Department of Defense, and I found this, this career field called labor and employee relations. And honestly, it was as close as I was going to get to being a criminal prosecuting attorney. I didn't go on to be a, a criminal prosecuting attorney, but I went on courtesy of Department of Defense to get both my bachelor's and my master's in leadership, because the whole study of leadership, I just find incredibly fascinating. Um, you know, from hi historical to current uh, current times, I just, it's just something that's just really fascinated me. And so I just, I would say I'm a lifelong learner of leadership. And then I would say some of the other things that got me maybe where I am today is I never really said no to anything. If people asked me to take on a new challenge, even if I wasn't sure I was going to be successful at it, I would say, you know what, not sure this is going to work out, but more than happy to give it a try. And it always worked out. But I think giving things a try and just not saying no to opportunities is what really led from one position to the next. I feel like I was always rewarded for just stepping in or stepping up and taking on the challenges that sometimes no one else wanted to do. Angie, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Shane. It's such a pleasure. I, I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity. Thank you. This has been the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm CEO of WEPA, Shane Canfield. Looking forward to talking to you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.